Hey guys, it's Matt. On today's episode of the TKW Podcast, I talked to Knicks Wall staff writer Michael Corvo about Jeff Hornacek and his future with the Knicks. We evaluate his tenure, talk about his coaching strategies, and also hit on some potential replacements that could end up being in the discussion in light of recent reports. With the season winding down and the draft approaching, big decisions await this front office, and it all starts with coaching. So without further ado, let's go. Welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined today by TKW staff writer, Michael Corvo. Michael, how you doing, buddy? Hey, doing well, Matt. Happy to be here. Good. So, biggest news with the Knicks recently has revolved around their head coach, besides Trey Burke's explosion last night, of course, which is pretty awesome. Mm. I don't know if you were watching the game last night, but... I uh, caught a few minutes in the fourth quarter, but I missed most of his uh, his damage. So I had to tweet the game, but I was also having a fantasy baseball draft. I heard, yeah. So How's I your think team? I drafted uh, four guys on the DL because I was not paying attention. Because <laughs> you were watching Trey Burke? Yeah, because I was like, oh, you know, Jeff Samarja looks good oh, on the DL. Okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I would so, stay away from him. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was brutal. But, yeah, so besides that, um, it was good to see Trey Burke get the run that he's deserved and that many fans have been clamoring for so the man that always has the final call on that is of course the Knicks head coach Jeff Hornacek who his second year at the helm after being in Phoenix for a couple years um, I'm curious because you wrote a piece at the beginning of March that talked about how Hornacek playing the youth could save his job because it's something that was a complaint of many fans as the year turned and then as Porzingis unfortunately went down, that he wasn't giving the young guys enough burn. So general feelings on Hornacek this year, how have you felt about him and how have you felt since you wrote that piece on March 1st? Yeah, well, you know, I think how I felt when I wrote that piece and how I felt feel now has changed a little bit. Um, I felt fine about him for most of the year. I thought for the most part, you know, he's been dealt a pretty – tough hand here the last couple of years with the Knicks. It's been pretty nonstop circus, a lot of untimely injuries. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Phil stuff, the mellow stuff. Uh, they Once Porzingis went down, they went right into tanking. Um, so it's, it's, it hasn't been easy for him. You know, he had Derrick Rose leave the team randomly. You know, he's had 30 different players, uh, I think, in a uniform since he's been there, two different front offices. He's ne- the front office has never backed him. So, you know, it's not, it's not easy. But having said that... Um, I do think so. So, so I was fine with him for most of the season. I mm-hmm. thought their first couple months were obviously pretty exciting, um, and then I thought it was you know it made sense to kind of go into the tanking thing. And once he did that, that kind of gave him an excuse to just sort of not worry about wins and losses and just show that he can kind of develop some guys and have some fun with young dudes. Um, but I do think after a month or so now of pretty hardcore tanking here, um, there's been just sort of a shift in t- from okay, let's, let's see some young guys' seasons, seasons lost anyway, to, man, there's a lot of negative energy now around this team. Um, and the press has sort of turned on him, and the players have seemed to turn on him. And, 
He's made some interesting lineup choices that we can get into, um, and we'll get into more specifics in all of all this as we talk. But you know, he's had some players show, you know, like Trey Burke, as you already said, um, Troy Williams to an extent. He's some guys have shown something, but then he's had other guys like Moutier, of course, really struggle. Mm. Um, so it's hard to sort of judge how he's developed guys, and there just sort of seems to be a groundswell now around him in sort of a negative way. Um, as more and more reports come out about sort of inner locker room conflicts and dynamics and veterans are starting to get angry. And he just hasn't really managed uh, this whole tanking thing well um, and all the losing. And I know it's tough, but right. it, it, it's really made, it's, a lot of the little stuff is added up to the point where you're sort of wondering, does this guy have the right personality? Not even looking at the X's and O's for a second. Yeah. Does he have the right personality and the presence and can he command the respect? Uh, to you know, be the right head coach of the Knicks, which yeah. is tough. I mean, I for one am shocked that the New York media has turned on a New York coach. <laughs> I am just shocked <laughs> at that. That, that. That's never happened before, right? Never, never saw it coming. <laughs> yeah, who knew that? Who knew that losing you know twenty five games in a month would uh, upset the media? I know. Oh my god! All right. So the the big thing with Hornacek, I think that people got upset with. You know, we talked about it a little bit. Is that his lineup choices were leaving a lot to be desired. He was sticking with veterans when we had seen plenty from guys like, you know, Franklin Lakina. People had been looking to see more from Dotson. So I want to talk about before we kind of get into the whole tanking thing and how mm-hmm. he's been dealt a really tough hand, because I 100% agree with you there. I think he's been put in a really tough position as a head coach. Let's talk about pre-Porzingis injury for a second, because this is something that bothered me about him at the time. It's a matter of maximizing the talent on your roster. I think we would say that that's the number one thing that a coach is tasked with doing. It's making that roster the best it can possibly be. It's what we always say about Popovich. We're like, look at the Spurs roster and look how good they are. This doesn't make any sense. Right. So the thing that was frustrating for me was seeing guys like Porzingis and Tim Hardaway not maximizing their shot profile. So... Porzingis started off the year guns blazing. He was averaging 30 a game. It was incredible the first 10 games. But then he got into this mid-range mindset where he was posting up a lot, way more than we had seen him. He was, you know, just basically taking all these mid-range jumpers. They were finding him in pick and rolls. They were giving the ball 15 feet from the hoop. And I'm sitting there and saying, you have a guy that is an elite rim runner. He is one of the top five threats in a pick and pop in the NBA and you're posting them up a lot. And I understand that that's sort of on the player too. But when you have young guys like Porzingis that need to be led in the right direction, I want to coach for the Knicks in the future, you know, in a couple of years when Porzingis is back healthy and assuming the same role that he did in the beginning of the year to look at him and say, listen, we need you to do X, Y, and Z because that's what's going to be best for our team. And it's a difficult thing, and people can disagree on the on the mindset, but I don't think anyone thinks that Porzingis had some great adoration for Hornacek because there was also a report with the recent report coming out about you know um, Hardaway yesterday with uh, drawing up the play, and then Kyle right. Quinn yelled at him last week. There was a report that Porzingis cursed him out last year in practice, which I don't. We all kind of get a vibe from afar about Porzingis's personality, and it's not something that we would normally expect him to do. So yeah, that's been my way, frustrating thing. And, and by the way, there's been all the there's been an alarming number for as few years as he's coached in the NBA. I think two with Phoenix, two yeah. with Knicks. 
Yeah, that's it. An alarming number of incidents of his players basically telling him to F off. Great point. I mean, Marquise Morris threw a towel at him in Phoenix. (laughs) That was was, awesome. I remember that. (laughs) He was fired shortly after. Yep. Uh, We had the Porzingis thing that we learned today. Um, I think that came out today in the post. Um, This O'Quinn incident, all everybody talks about is how good of a guy O'Quinn is, how good of a teammate he is. He's he's cursing him out in practice. Joe Kim Noah, who obviously wasn't part of the team, but nevertheless still had a whole blow up with him in practice. I mean, clearly these players think for whatever reason that Hornacek is, you know, kind of a pushover. Yeah. And a guy that they can disrespect in front of the whole team. You know, it's probably ultimately why Phil hired him. I mean, I know he had a little a stint in Phoenix, but Phil obviously wanted a guy that he could just control and right. say, no, you're going to run my offense, my triangle, whatever, just do what I say. Um, so he's he's obviously do, is a guy that players feel like they can disrespect. So, I mean, it's been a lot of, you know, these things that, you know, one a player occasionally getting in a spat with a coach is not that big of a deal, but mm-hmm. kind of happened a lot with him. Yeah, and it, I think back to something where, you know, a guy like Eric Spolstra is someone that I respect a lot, and I always thought he was a really good coach with the Heat, and everyone said, oh, he didn't need to do anything. But that Heat team had to fit together in such a way, and I thought he did a great job of forming Bosch into a certain role, and they just were able to maximize the talent on the roster, which I'm just going to keep going back to that. Yeah, and yeah. The famous thing, you were, I'm sure you remember when LeBron like bumped him going into the huddle, and people sure, made yeah. a big thing about it. It was so, like eight games into the se- first dude, season. Dude, exactly. Yeah. So LeBron at that time, I'm sure, was thinking, this guy's a pushover too. But Spolster totally. gained the respect of those guys. And to your point... This is not something that's just been this year. We've seen things happen with Hornacek, you know, like with the Derrick Rose thing. And, you know, it's always been obvious. I think even from watching interviews, and I'm curious if you agree with me, it just seems like he's the kind of guy that you could say, fuck you too. And he would just be like, well, okay, he said, fuck you. Like, I guess I'm going to have to just be okay with that. Because he's always smiling. He's just kind of, he's a little soft-spoken. Yeah, he's, he's, he seems like a nice guy and a, a probably, probably works hard, but he doesn't have a lot of gravitas. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I mean, yeah, just for sure. I mean, Derrick Rose, you know, like he left the team. You don't, you wouldn't, no, nobody would just leave, you know, Spolstra for a yeah. day. And like think. Rose wouldn't do that to Thibodeau. I doubt that. Like those are the kind of things you'll go back to. No, Thibodeau's the only guy keeping him in the league. Oh, of course. <laughs> I saw a report today that Rose was like out for a couple games and Thibodeau's like really trying to get him back. And I'm just, why? Why are you trying <laughs> to get him back? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so another thing that I've noticed and I just it, it stuck out to me today when I was reading and reading up to make sure I knew all the news on Horsek, if there's anything new. None of them call him, you know, Coach Hornacek. You know, I don't know what the general, mm. you know, you know how a lot of the Heat guys call him Spo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Whatever, I keep going, you know, yeah, yeah. Pop. So they'll call him that. Or, you know, the, you know Steve Kerr, they'll just call him Steve, I think. They just call him Coach, and that's it. They don't call him Jeff. They don't call him Horny. They don't call him Hornacek. They, it's just Coach. I thought that was really strange, and I thought that's like a little microcosm of their general feelings showing to the media without them saying anything. Huh. That's a good observation. I like that point. Um, yeah. I also thought Kyle O'Quinn, even today, when they were sort of trying to say the right things and put the disagreement behind them, even O'Quinn, neither O'Quinn didn't say. You know, he said two wrongs make a right. So he basically called it said Hornacek right. was also wrong. Yeah, he didn't say. He didn't say. Also, you know, oh, I, you know, I love Hornacek. That's my guy right there. We just mm-hmm. got to do a thing. We're gonna be like, I love him. We're gonna be great. And Je- Hornacek didn't say the t- same thing either. Hornacek was kind of just like, let's move on. We're over it. Yep. It was there's clearly icy feelings there. It wasn't like these aren't two guys. I mean, you know, O'Quinn's a bubbly guy, and he was mm-hmm. not you know, showing him any respect after that. He was still pissed. 
and reading those quotes, it looked like O'Quinn was on his way to apologize and then just didn't because he didn't think right. that he had to because he didn't think he was wrong. Right. And it's it's one thing that we can talk about a bunch of coaches in the NBA and the respect they deserve from players, but I like to I like to think about head coaches. So we can get it. I want the next topic we're going to get into is how generally we feel about head coaches in the NBA because I think that's important in how we evaluate mm-hmm. a guy like Hornacek. But head coaches are basically good or bad until they're not. And that's how a lot of these things work. So I like to look at someone, let's take Nate McMillan in Indiana, who people thought sucked when he was in Portland. People thought he was terrible. Right. And all of a sudden, this Indiana team has exceeded expectations. Victor Oladipo's been awesome. And people are like, maybe Nate McMillan was never a bad coach. Maybe he's a good coach. There's so many different things that go into evaluating the process. And it's for Hornacek, he was a young, up-and-coming, exciting coach in the league when he coached the Suns that year to 48 wins, the team that was supposed to be one of the worst in the league. And the biggest thing with him that year was he played those two-guard lineups, and that mm. was kind of his mantra. People were like, oh, you know, he was really able to use Eric Bledsoe and Goran Dragic really well together. But, but didn't they have, like, six point guards on that team? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. What if he just got lucky one year with the roster and it ended up working out? Right. That's the idea. So, And the next year was a disaster. So they were awful the next year. Yeah, and they were terrible. I thought they were and, actually going to be good. Yeah. yeah, and then I think he – did he live out the one year and then he got fired the next year, I'm pretty sure, he, like, early he on. Got, he got fired, yeah. Yeah, so it's always this this constant struggle in the NBA. So now let's let's talk a little bit about – how we evaluate coaches because I think it's supremely difficult and I think we all like to portray this higher sense of knowledge when it comes to NBA coaches and it's also super binary right they're either good or they're bad they're a one or a zero and that's how we like to evaluate it I've said it on this podcast before I think I said it last week when I was on here with Jonathan talking about draft prospects and looking forward to how we want a future coach to coax these guys and, um, you know, make them better. So I am of the mindset that there are the elite coaches in the NBA, which pick from a handful. You know, you can go your Pops, your Spolstras, your Rick Carlisles, pick whoever you want. And you have your really terrible coaches in the NBA, which I look at like Dave Yeager, I think is a really bad coach. I, there, there's some other guys you can talk about down there that are not great. And then you just have a whole pocket of the rest. Whether, you know, let's say that's 20 coaches. And I think that Hornacek's in that 20. I do not think he's Mm. one of the bottom five coaches in the league. But, of course, what am I evaluating that based on? Just what I know about Hornacek. I'm not able to look at the same data for the other teams, or I don't have the time, because who has the time to go in and dig in all the lineup data and say, you know, if he was playing X, Y, and Z more. But, so what's your process when you evaluate a coach? Well, I think in general, I think I'm sort of a believer in, and I think kind of the same thing about baseball managers, is that I think it's, for the regular season, you really have to be more than anything is a culture setter. Mm. And you have to be somebody that uh, you're good with the media, you set good vibes around the team, you get a sense of positivity, you get a sense that players like to come to work and play for you, and are just excited to be there and, and be in the locker room in the morning. And they have sort of they, the the players respect you, but sort of clearly play with a certain freedom and a looseness. And then in the postseason is when it's you can really evaluate the X's and O's more. Um, 
because it's such a different game, and that's where you're really making adjustments, and everything's magnified, and everybody's trying really hard, um, and everybody's good. Um, that's what I think in general. I think there are exceptions. I think you have times where a, a, there's plenty of coaches who probably will never going to be great X's and O's guys, but are just have the right personality and find success that way. And you have guys that are so obviously uh, trendsetters in terms of uh, X's and O's, like a Mike D'Antoni or something, mm. um, where that sort of is clearly what you obviously evaluate them on. Um, the problem is with a guy like Hornacek, uh, all we've, we, haven't re- we haven't gotten a chance to see him in the postseason, so we yep. don't know if he would be um, a sort of sharp a- adjustment maker. Right, um, which we can guess and, based on the regular season, but we'll never know right. for sure. Well, the, yeah, and the problem with him is, and our guess would be that he wouldn't be so good because he seems so all over the place. Yeah. Um, his lineups are changing, even during the tanking stuff when all you have to do is really play young guys and do nothing else. He'll, he abruptly pulls Moutier, you know, mm. for and doesn't play him the whole next game. You know, he, and he, he has these players sort of all over the place. Um, and a lot of people had issues with his um, use of the veterans earlier in the season. Um, he seems to not be able to generate an offense that can shoot threes. Um, the Knicks were terrible for even when they were good this year. They were yeah. toward that, the bottom, bottom. Like I mentioned, the Ben Rich thing that that is just so bothersome to me. Right, and that we're in. That, we've seen that it works so well, and they are just fighting back against it so hard. Yeah, and maybe that's what happens when you hire a guy who played in the 90s, you know, yeah. that he's, I mean, I guess right. doesn't apply to Steve Kerr, I guess, but at least in this case. Um, you know, and I think a big thing with coaches is do, do your players get sick of you? You know, are, you're there every day in their ear. Um, are you, are they, you know, is their respect gaining for you or are they getting sick of you and ready to go on vacation when the season's over? Um, and it seems like on every team Hornacek coaches by the end of the season, his players are, are over him and they're ready to be away from him yep. and, and stop listening to his shit. Yep. Um, and so that's not a good sign. I mean, I know we started this, we're going to have a more broader conversation. I pulled it back into Hornacek here. Um, but the things that I look for overall, I just don't think he's really displayed. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I love the point about the regular season versus the postseason too. I think that's an excellent way to look at it because during the regular season, you want guys to come in and play hard every game because you know they're going to do that in the postseason no matter what. They're not going to lollygag in a postseason game. In the NBA, when they are playing 82 games during the season, in and out, they have back-to-backs where they're playing in Cleveland and Chicago, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those guys, there's some games they're going to let up. We see it happen all the time. So that's a huge part of it. There's no doubt about it. Right, and I think you mentioned Nate McMillan, um, who's a guy who frankly, he's gotten better as a coach. Maybe no, no. it was because he just was on the Olympic team doing working with Coach K or maybe just because he was you know, working hard on his own. Um, but he got better. And I think another example of that, which ties into what you were just saying, is Dwayne Casey, mm. um, the Raptors, who his first stint in the NBA, maybe Minnesota, I want to say, or somewhere, he wasn't considered... I'll look it much. up while you're talking. He was not con- considered that much. I mean, he was probably in that category where you just put Hornacek in, where not yes. the worst in the league, but sort of kind of an ordinary guy. And then uh, I think he was, you know, as eventually every year with the Raptors, he's gotten better and better. Um, yep. And he's... Yeah, it was Minnesota, you're right. Minnesota, yeah. Yep. And he's made, he's made adjustments, he's been open-minded, they've changed their scheme, they've changed their, their pace, all that stuff. They've gotten better every year. And that's a, that's a team that... he's it's basically been the same team for four or five years now. Mm. And one of the things that they do is, not only have they gotten better every year, but they also play hard all regular season, which yep. is what you were just talking about. And he finds different ways to kind of keep them energized. Maybe, you know, this year one great thing for them was there's this bench unit of these five young guys, 
or four young guys and CJ Miles or whatever who are all who've been one of the best lineups in the league this year. And they just play hard all season. And then in the playoffs, you know, it's it's been a different story with them where all of a sudden the competition's better and they struggle. But they're a team that all season plays really hard against, you know, any no matter who they play. And they rack up a lot of wins that way. Um, I think that's, you know, the kind of coach that we would love Hornacek to be. Right. And it's talking about Dwayne Casey, who, when he started his tenure, and I'm sure I could, I could maybe even see three or four times that he was, you know, in the offseason, like, you know, should the Raptors keep him around? It was kind of, is he a guy they really want to go to battle with? And the last couple years, he's really put faith in the front office and has, you mentioned, basically overhauled their offense to the point where it's more fun for them. They're playing a more efficient style of basketball. DeRozan's been shooting more threes. They've been, you know, just every night in and out playing hard. And that's not an easy thing to establish as a coach. And I think it's also a testament to Larry and DeRozan, who are the two leaders of that team that people look up to, that not for nothing, the Knicks don't really have that guy right now. And Porzingis isn't the type of guy to rah-rah, set the tone in terms of, you know, hyping the guys up, which I think Lowry is like that guy. DeRozan's a little more soft-spoken, but... That's why, and we can kind of hone in on back on Hornacek for a second and talk about this Knicks roster and what we should look for moving forward. That's why the Knicks desperately need a coach that can set a culture. And how long have we been talking about the Knicks setting a culture and they've been unable to do it? They haven't had a coach consecutively be the team's head coach for more than three years in a row since Van Gundy. It was, Mm. you know, they had Mike Woodson for a little bit and then that didn't work. The Derek Fisher thing was a, a debacle. Oh, Isaiah Thomas, you know, they, they've made a lot of mistakes. So I think we can all agree that Woodson's year when he was really good is the last time that we felt confident in a head coach. And that was because he had the respect of his players. It was hard with guys like Melo and JR, who were not easy personalities to deal with, and the different kind of guys they had in that locker room. It was a testament to Woodson. And there's a reason why he's still around and people still talk. Like, I bet if you ask Melo and JR right now about Woody, they'll be like, oh, yeah, we still love that guy. You know, he was our guy. Oh, yeah. No one would say that about Hornacek right now. No. And that's yeah. where the conversation becomes, is he someone they should keep moving forward? I can't remember one quote this year, and I read these, you know, beat writers every morning, one quote this year of a player being like, I love Jeff Hornacek. That's I can't either. Like, guys will be professional and say, yeah, you know, he's the coach. He's, you know, he's, we'll do what he says and, and we respect, you know, what he says. But they'll never, they never hear a guy like yep. really, really ride with him. Yep. And that's our job to read between the lines and figure that stuff out. And it's easy. When you think about it, this stuff's easy, man. You could tell when guys. When you're are reading it every day, like, like exactly. I am, I presume you are, like, you get, you pick up on this stuff. Yeah. And, and most of our like, listeners are reading everything, I'm sure, and they see the same things that we're seeing. It's the subtle hints. It's the things that they say. It's the way that they act around him. You know, we've already talked about some of the issues that he's had with not one or two players, you know, four or five players. And there's a lot to be said for that. And also last night, there was a moment where he wanted to call timeout and Trey Burke basically waved him off and said, no, don't do that. I I read, I I didn't see that in the moment or didn't notice it in the moment, but I read that in the story today. Yeah. Yeah. And he he said, he waved him off. Yeah. And this is a guy that's That's Trey Burke. That guy. Yeah. yeah, That's what I was going to say. He's been with the team for 30 games. Yeah. (laughs) And he feels enough to be like, yeah, 
I'm not going to listen to this guy. Like, I need to keep going right now. And Hardaway was upset that, uh, that Hornacek called timeout because he felt Burke was really going strong and he didn't think he needed a burn, but Hornacek thought he did. It says a lot for the players to come out with these things and we're hearing these things. Because... Yeah, they're, le- they're, they're leaking this stuff to reporters. Exactly. exactly. We're not just trying to deduce things. This is not like us reading between the lines on quotes. This is them saying oh, I didn't think he should have called a timeout there. Or, oh, th- whatever the coach wanted to do was fine, but I didn't agree. Yeah, they're going, it seems like they're going out of their way to trash him. Yes. And, I mean, there was a quote, speaking of, out of, like, talking about out of your way, Willie Hernan Gomez, did you read that yes, quote was in there today? I where, did read that, yep. Where, where Willie, he's not on the team anymore, obviously, and Horn, one of the guys, Hornacek, probably should have played more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he said, his quote was, he said, here, talking about Charlotte, he yeah. says, here, everybody follows rules, defense and offense. Maybe in New York, it was a little freer defense, offense. Here, everyone follows rules. Everybody helps each other. Like That's terrible. Basically, that's, <laughs> that's a terrible indictment on Hornacek. <laughs> Literally just saying none of Hornacek's players uh, ever listened, listened to him and didn't care at all what he said. Yeah, like, <laughs> and that he didn't have some sort of structure or what we mentioned before, a culture in place. Yeah, I mean, brutal. It's it's tough. I think it has something to do with. I think one thing is also during this tanking stretch. I mean, I know losing is exhausting, and everybody kind of gets sick of it. So people are kind of now sort of peeved. But he also has kind of been pretty disrespectful to teammates or to mm-hmm. his own team. I should say Ornisek has. Um, he's referred to guys as G leaguers, even though they are recent call ups. He still kind of call, labeled them by that. Yeah. Um, uh, he called them out. He called them out for. He's like, this is mid-tanking when the organization openly wants, and the fan base and everybody openly wants and knows that they're trying to lose games. And he's adjusting his lineups accordingly and purposely sitting out veterans and such. And then he calls the team out for not, for their effort or for not working harder, challenges their pride or they have, and they have, they have a team meeting about if guys really want to win. Like, and he also, he preached, he had a few weeks ago where he was preaching chemistry even though he's shifting lineups because none of it matters because it's tanking anyway. Absolutely. there's just been a pa- – I think these players are kind of saying, all right, like we understand what's going on here. We know we have to lose and even though none of us like it. But just show us a little bit of respect. Don't yep. call us out then. You know, I don't, I don't blame them. No, that's – it's the hardest thing at a, at a basic human level. When we do anything, we enjoy winning more than losing. And when we keep losing, it's disheartening. It's frustrating. And that's completely understandable. So that's why – some of these quotes that come out, you know, Fornisek says things or Hardaway says something. I don't blame any of these guys. Like, I'm not like, oh, Hornacek was a jackass because he said that. Or, you know, oh, Kyle O'Quinn shouldn't have yelled at him. I, it, It's impossible to not understand the situation that these guys are going through, especially the veterans. And especially Hornacek, who coming in is expecting to win. You know, however stupid anyone was that thought the Knicks were going to be quote-unquote good last year with that roster, which... You know, some of us were probably more optimistic. I think I was a little more optimistic, and I I feel stupid for feeling that way. But they had a bunch of veterans. <laughs> there was a reason for him to look and say, you know, maybe I'm jumping into a team here that could win some games. And all of a sudden, he's looking in the mirror a year and a half later, and they're losing, you know, 16 of 17. So it's it's all coming back to how we react when we're dealt with adversity, and well, we can split hairs and say, you know, he could have done this. He could have said this to O'Quinn. O'Quinn could have said something differently. The bottom line is it just doesn't seem that he has the sort of 
leadership or you know ability to lead this team into the future. I just don't know if I see it. Yeah, I sort of have a uh, the, the, my my vision of Hornacek that sums it all up for me. Um, this is a quick story. Oh, go for it. I was actually at because we were talking about all the things that have happened the whole circus with yeah. you know has been unfair. Um, so I was actually at the Charles Oakley game last That's year. That's right. Oh my god. And <laughs> I was and I was I was an, just another thing. And I was sitting pretty close to where it happened. And uh, right before that game, there must have been something that I think maybe just Phil Mello stuff, or maybe it was the Derek Rose thing. Something uh, before the game in his pregame interview, he basically said, "I'm really looking forward to kind of." moving on past all this circus and this drama hmm. and kind of having more smooth sailing. And that Oakley play happened obviously like two rows, you know, courtside, back from courtside, and about one possession into the game it hmm. happened. And I remember reading that interview and then going to the game and 30 seconds in, there's just this absolute <laughs> madhouse circus show and the guard, everybody in, the, in our guard instantly knows what's happening. Yep. I just remember seeing Hornacek throw up his arms <laughs> in this, like, you gotta be shitting me. Yeah, just like, like it's this real life type Exhausted moment, right? manner, just like, what the hell is this now? <laughs> and that's sort of the, where the, that's sort of the image I always have of Hornacek when I think of him just being flustered and fed up and just, you know, I don't know. It just, it was this image of like exhausted stress and that was a year and a half ago and I just, I don't know if there's a lot of legs to this partnership. I think if you and I caught a game together, something just preposterous would happen because I was at the Derrick Rose game where he just disappeared. Oh, no. So uh, we'll catch a game. The whole Knicks wall guys will catch a game, and I'm sure something insane will happen. Yeah, you, yeah. You can't, you can't even predict it. All right, so let's kind of – now that our feelings on Horace are known because I think you and I can both agree to a certain standpoint that he, we don't think he's an absolutely awful coach, but we also just don't think he has the type of mindset to lead this team into the future, and so the Knicks should address it now – rather than later, while they can get some... They have to do the same thing again next year. So that's the issue. So, with that being said, before we get into some potential replacements, would you move on at the end of this year? Is that something that you would do if you were, you know, Steve Mills and Scott Perry right now? Uh, yeah, I think I would. I, I just think the attitude towards Hornacek is soured, and I don't really know. Obviously, you know, Porzingis isn't a huge fan of his. Um, and I just... I don't think he's shown the. There's been. I think it's been net negative with him. I think he's had. He's done some things totally fine. Um, I actually think he's been decent bringing along Frank this year, mm. um, and I think he's probably a an okay kind of X's and O's guy. He's not a total buffoon, right? Um, but and and you know we we know he hasn't had a fair chance here. But there just seems to be a general kind of attitude where this locker room whether it's tim hardaway or porzingis or candor if he's in there or whoever it is is just not going to be a huge fan of this guy um and i think starting fresh with a new energy uh, a guy that everybody instantly kind of can bond with and connect to kind of what the yankees did with uh girardi yeah um, girardi was better than hornacek is at his job Girardi was a really good manager but i think cashman felt like this new wave of young guys they kind of just need they, they might respect Girardi more than the, the guys respect Hornacek, but they just sort of needed a fresh energy, something a little looser, somebody to kind of get along with the players better, which is ultimately why they went with Aaron Boone. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how that works out, I guess. But, um, Fingers crossed. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but I'm liking what I'm hearing, um, except, except for the great bird news yesterday. Yeah, um, big bummer. Yeah. But, um, but yes, I, I agree with you. I think it's, time, I think it's uh, time to move on. 
So just in relation, not to get too much Yankees talk for all the, the Mets fans out there or whatever team you might be a fan of, it's the the Girardi-Boone thing is really accurate because it feels like none of the guys on the Yankees last year would be like, you know, Joe Girardi, that's my guy. Right. Love that guy. Like, they, I'm sure they respected him and they liked him. But you could see Aaron Boone being a guy that, you know, they asked Judge about it and he's like, oh, that's my guy. Like, you know, Boone, you know, he's, he's, he's good with us. He's good with the, with the hitters and he knows what to do with the pitchers, blah, blah, blah. And that's the kind of thing that I think you want in a coach, especially next year with the Knicks when they're going to be running the same team back with so many young guys that are going to need to be nurtured and taken through the long ride that is the season. Oh, yeah. I, I think I totally agree. Um, yeah. And there's been some names floated around that I guess we'll get into now, and some, I think, fit that description way better than others. Yeah, so let's get right into it. So I would also agree that I think it's time to move on for from Hornacek, if only because... We've seen how this has gone from February until now since Porzingis was down, and I don't think it's the best environment to have at the beginning of next year because they're going to be this bad again next year, and we don't know for how long because we don't know when Porzingis is going to be back. He could be back in December. He could not come back at all. So that's where you really have to have a mindset on who you want and who you want to lead this team and what type of person. So, with that being said, there's been a lot of names thrown around. A few we heard today were Mark Jackson and Doc Rivers, guys that have a track record in the NBA, have been head coaches. We've also heard Dave Fisdale. We've heard David Blatt, who also have been in the NBA. Um, I'm curious if there are any guys that stick out to you right away, or if... There are some that you definitely don't want. What do you feel on the potential free agent head coaches that could apply for the Knicks after this season? Okay, well, definitely not David Blatt. Um, just, I think he would have the same. I mean, he had, they got to the finals because yeah. they had LeBron the one year he was in Cleveland. LeBron completely disrespected him multiple times that year publicly, including in the playoffs when he redrew his play or they didn't run the play that he ran right when he hit the game winning shot they had they got the guy out of lebron i guess he lasted till into the next season yeah but lebron basically said to hell, with this, to hell with this guy yeah mm-hmm. um and i'm sure david blatt's great international cut fine but clearly doesn't doesn't probably is the same issue that hornacek has where yeah he, i'd he agree there if he feels like the same type of guy and that's just on my vision from afar and you talked about lebron he seems like the same type of guy that the players might not necessarily respectfully or want to play for fully and have that sort of drive to keep going every night. Sure. Um, the other names that floated out there, I think there's the, the names you mentioned with Doc and Mark Jackson, David Fisdale. Mm-hmm. And then the other name I saw out there was Jerry Stackhouse. Okay, um, right. Who's, who's, had, who's been this kind of rising star coach for, I think, the Toronto G League team. Um, so the, I think all four of those guys actually do – have sort of what we're, we're looking for personality-wise to different degrees. Um, I think they are guys who players would probably, you know, they have good histories of um, players sort of respecting them and stuff. Doc mm-hmm. is a li- Doc's a little more up and down. I think Doc kind of wears on guys. Obviously right. him and Chris Paul uh, didn't have the best rapport. Mm-hmm. Um, and him and Ray Allen or whatever. Like, it just Doc's <laughs> a little Doc's a little, uh, little more uh, shaky with that. Um the name that I really like, I think Mark Jackson, uh, I think that's a 
on paper, I think a lot of people might hear that and just quickly think, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like he did a good job and he's considered to have done a good job, I guess, in Golden State, although we've seen what they've done since he's left. Right. Um, Let's stick on uh, him for a second before yeah. we get into anyone else because sure. he's a really popular name for people. Sure. There's a lot of people that love him. And I and might, he's... I would maybe bet on him if I was mm-hmm. to bet on it. Um, doesn't it. Doesn't it just feel like such a Knicks thing that they would do? Yeah. Like, but, oh, the, you know, this guy was awesome for us. We drafted him. He was great. And then the worry with him is the way that he left Golden State was not great. He kind of left in a tizzy. He had some issues with people in the front office. And with the, the shakiness of New York's front office over the years, those are the kind of things that I'm just like, do we really want to bring a guy in here that's going to maybe just be a little too ambitious, maybe want to put his will in too much and then just cause issues. That's my concern with him. And I also think there is something to be said that Steve Kerr was able to take that roster to new heights. Obviously, they had another year of experience. There was There's a whole litany of factors as to why they were better with Kerr, but he also opened up their offense and did a lot of things that were able to work effectively. And what we've been talking about this whole time, wanted those guys to come in every night and play hard, which is what Kerr has done for that Golden State team. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously they've, their roster has been improved since Kerr's been there. But, all, I mean, it clearly schematically, Mark Jackson wasn't doing anything that innovative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think his mantra is sort of, or his uh, sort of expertise or whatever, is just kind of being a motivator. Yeah. Um, and sort of being a guy who is, you know, inspires players. Which seems um, heavy handed to me. Yeah, and the thing, yeah, it's it's a lot with him. I think he brings a lot of baggage. I think more than people realize. Yeah, I think he had a few kind of strange incidents in Golden State where he had he had a, a multiple assistants quit because he was trying to, for whatever reason, some That's sort right. of power power struggle on the coaching staff. Yeah, uh, he had where he basically I don't know guys said screw you and they were out of there. Um, then he that had feels like so long ago now. Like and, and it, he, it feels like Kerr's coached them for years, but that was what like four years ago. Yeah, four uh, years ago? yeah. I think this is Kerr's fourth year, maybe. Dude, it's wild. Um, he's had other weird incidents. He had, um, he, he mentioned some of the Warriors front office. He had some personal stuff with like, I think it had to do with like a prostitute or something. You know, just yep. Like he, it, there's a little bit more baggage there than I think people realize. I don't think he's that. He's so good of a basketball analyst or a, a genius basketball mind that he, you know, you that he should for sure be a head coach right. for the Knicks. Yeah. Um, so those his personal concerns shouldn't be the, or I should say, his basketball ability is not so high that it should outweigh any concerns we might have about him personally and professionally. Right. He did fine in Golden State, but like what you so I I think that's you know maybe we'll read more about it and get more you know info as it goes along. I feel like yep. he'd probably be my to bet on somebody right now it would be him uh, you know james dolan likes to bring in big name people mm-hmm. uh, he, oh also mark jackson had a weird incident where he had recently where he had this mysterious breakup with with rich paul um his agent you know lebron uh, at clutch sports yeah yeah yeah. Where there was sort of a kind of ugly breakup there people don't really know what happened so clearly gotcha. he's not that easy to difficult uh, to deal with mm-hmm. um so i don't so yeah i'm not I'm sure there's good things he brings to the table. Maybe he would bond with Frank. You know, maybe uh, maybe it's something that would work really well right away. Yeah, he brings out of a fresh energy. I don't know. We've talked about sort of, you know, coaches kind of they're good until they're not good, as you said. Yeah, they can yep. sort of wear out his welcome. I worry with Mark Jackson that two and a half years down the road, 
that it's it could get ugly. That's my worry too. So, so who's a guy that you had said maybe that we haven't mentioned yet or that I did mention? I'm not sure. So who do you like? I like I like the idea of Fizdale. Okay. Um, of the names I've seen floated, he would be my first choice. Um, the when he was fired uh, after uh, from Memphis, sort of abruptly, mm-hmm. um, and didn't really seem like he deserved it. Uh, it was amazing how many players in the league on other teams spoke up. Excellent point. And said, "Man, like that's our guy. Like, what are they doing down there?" Um, he clearly. I mean, I first I really like him seeing him on TV, and I know, you know, he the, Mem- the guys in Memphis really like playing for him. He seems to have a, a great relationship with pretty much everybody. It was basically um, Marcus saw that, and him and Marcus saw didn't see right, eye, that's, and it that's seemed it like yes. Memphis came to the decision because that's a really tight knit community, and the front office cares a lot about those kind of things. And it was basically like, oh, you know, if Marcus Gasol and him aren't going to get along, are we going to be able to continue this partnership? Right, and and that was only valid. And then this season, they didn't even entertain trade offers for Marcus Gasol. So clearly, yeah. they're they're all in on him for life. But yep, um, that that's an excellent point. Yeah, so I think so exactly. I think I think Fisdale's a guy who I think kind of li- he has a little uh, like kind of a swagger about him. I think he likes the spotlight to an extent. Mm-hmm. I think he would do well. I think he would embrace the New York thing, um, and I think he would just energized guys i think uh even though he's known as sort of being more of a kind of a, a player personality first coach i do think he's pretty progressive and analytical in terms of i don't know that much about his actual schemes and his, you know his tactics but i i think he does sort of embrace advanced stats pretty well which i think mm-hmm. any, any i'd like to see any you know any coach yeah, I mean, that if, it, if it's 2018 and you're a head coach honestly in any sport and that's not something that you factor into your analysis and decisions. You got to catch up with the times, right? And I worry about that with Mark Jackson and Doc Rivers. I could not agree more, especially uh, Jackson. Just that that part makes me yeah, nervous, man. Mo- yeah, mostly. Yeah, Doc's done a good done a good job this year, actually. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, Fizdale would be my guy. I think Sackhouse for a lot of the same reasons. I think he would just be an exciting hire. He would kind of be a, a sort of a sexy hire. Mm-hmm. Um, people really rave about. What he's done in Toronto, not just—I mean, they've—they've they've, the team's done well, but people really like him as a leader. He was always known for being one of the one of the toughest guys in the league. Yeah, he has pretty legendary stories uh, of altercations he had with players. He's kind of <laughs> guys people knew, like kind of not to mess with, but also really kind of respected, and especially when he became a veteran in the league. Um, and he kind of so he kind of has both those things where he he clearly knows how to coach young guys and develop players. Uh, yeah. and for if he's you know he seems like the right guy to inherit a young team. Where he can sort of guys will play hard for him, but also, uh, you know, they probably grew up watching him. Um, they probably think he's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to see that too. I don't know enough about you know how he act, what sort of what he believes in as a coach. Right. Um, those are the names that would excite me the most. I'd agree with you there. I basically, when it comes down to coaching for me, like my like I said before, my philosophy is that you should shoot to get a guy that could end up being that good. Because right. if you're just going to end up with a guy that's just going to be fine, you know what are you what are you really doing? You're if you're end just up... if you're recycling offensive coordinators, in exactly. The NFL. It's, yeah. you know you're just throwing around you know North Turner forever. You know, yeah. What, what do you think is going to happen? You're not going anywhere. Pat Shermer. Exactly. Oh, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, unless they trade Odell. Uh, here's what's going to happen with the Giants. Oh, God. They're going to draft Saquon Barkley and then trade Odell, and then I'm going to give up my Giants fan card forever. Yeah, I'd, I'm not a Giants fan, but I'm eagerly hoping that they trade Odell just to see. I was gonna say, just Giants look at your fans, shops to wait for that. Just to, just to see Giants fans, <laughs> Giants fans absolutely explode. 
it would be insane the outpouring. But <laughs> Odell aside, because I really hope that doesn't happen. I still don't yeah. think it will. But anyways, I mean, I like Fizdale and Stackhouse too. I I like the idea of bringing in a guy like Stackhouse, especially because I think he's much different than someone like Derek Fisher. Because if Stackhouse mm-hmm. was someone that the Knicks were to hire, you know, the first thing people will inevitably go to is, oh, the Knicks just hired a guy that didn't have any NBA coaching experience. And there's something to be said for the fact that Stackhouse has coached as an assistant for the Raptors and now coaches their G League team. So it's not the same scenario at all. But I can promise you that would be a thing that people would say. Doesn't have any head coaching experience on him on his own at the highest level. Meanwhile, these other guys do. So I think when it comes down to it, you want a guy that's going that you feel confident in will be able to lead the team next year and instill some some belief and hope in the Knicks and give the young guys like Trey Burke and Nilakina and even Hardaway, who I think Hardaway is like a little stubborn. He's I yeah. love him to death. I love him more than I think most do, but I do think he's kind of stubborn. I think he's a, a, a tough guy to get along with exactly. So I think connecting with him is important because his development is going to be essential next year. Yeah, he's um, making he's making a lot of money. Like exactly. he's got he's got to be good. Um, and I, and I'll yes, and I think more in terms of style, uh, somebody who is, I mean, gonna sh- we're gonna shoot threes, right? And defend the three, and just kind of somebody who's gonna open it up a little bit more, get a little more pace and space going. Um, that's so regardless of whether the t- how many games a team wins, they're at least playing kind of a energizing, fun brand of basketball mm-hmm. that it looked like the Knicks might do a little bit early in this year, and then just didn't really get there. Um, I'm not sure with Hornacek they're ever going to really get that. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if Stackhouse or Fisdale is necessarily that way, but maybe they are. They seem like the type of guys that you take a chance on rather than someone that's recycled like a, a Mark Jackson or a Doc Rivers. And I understand getting an older guy in here that's you know been around the block. He has a lot of relationships with a lot of different NBA people. I understand the mindset, but I think at this stage I'd rather the Knicks take a shot on someone like that and even if they just move up to 23rd in three-point shooting, like 23rd is not asking right. much. Just not right. 30th. It's it's mind-boggling. And it was mind-boggling at the beginning of the year, too, when they had good three-point shooters because you have Hardaway and Porzingis. And Courtney Lee especially has never taken enough threes, which it doesn't matter anymore. But that was always something that was kind of grinding my gears. Yes. But when it comes down to it, here are the things that we, you and I, I think – are going to be looking for when the Knicks end up looking towards a new coach, or you never know. But the reports are basically indicating that Hornacek is a dead man walking and that he's not going to be here next year. So when we're looking at it, we want guys that are going to inspire the players to want to be there every day, are going to give each player individual attention and help them progress, and be more analytically minded and hopefully the front office allows that sort of mindset so that the Knicks can move into the 21st century and have a more efficient brand of basketball both offensively and defensively right so basically not Kurt Rambis excellent point so the antithesis of Kurt Rambis is what we're looking for (laughs) and I think everyone (laughs) would agree with that (laughs) all right so with that you got anything uh coming up on the website we look forward to anything in the docket uh just some some game previews and recaps and i'm sure there'll be a feature a feature coming soon all right and we can follow you are you at rustic westbrook still at rustic westbrook yes all right so with that michael 
Thanks for chatting. Guys, we'll talk to you later. It's been fun. Cheers. Cheers.